Hey guys, today I sat down and talked to Austin Gongas. Austin is a co-founder of a backpack company called Chicken Tramper Ultralight Gear. Uh, a few years ago, he hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. In that process, he got excited in that world or he was already engaged in that world, but it inspired him to start this backpacking company with his friend, Nathan. Uh, so we talk about the trail, we talk about the backpacking company. This is super cool. I really enjoyed this one. I hope you do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Austin, thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Logan. Yeah, appreciate it. Here to talk about a, a mix of things, uh, I'm so excited. We're here about your time on the Pacific Crest Trail. I know the other day you had said it doesn't seem that extraordinary compared to some other things that you see, but compared to the rest of the world, that's something most people will never even come close to achieving. Uh, so I'm excited to hear about that and also how you transitioned into a business, right? I mean, you're following your passion and, and making a business out of that world. But where did that start? What was the year? How did you get into that? Is that something you thought about for a while? Let's get into the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd have to think back a little ways. I think growing up, I'd, I'd go camping with my dad. We would do weekend trips, uh, go and car camp, do some mountain biking, do some hiking. And I remember one of my favorite trips with him was up to the Porcupine Mountains. Okay. Um, so I sort of fell in love with the UP there and the idea of going out into the wilderness, spending time out there. Um, when I ended up going to Michigan Tech is when I really started backpacking. Uh, my friends and I First year, took a backpacking trip to the Porkies with all the wrong gear. I think one friend had two school backpacks stacked on top of each other. Yeah. I had a hiking backpack that was packed to the gills with way more than we needed. But we had an incredible time, even though all of our backs hurt and our feet hurt. And the the love for backpacking in the outdoors progressed from there through my time at Michigan Tech. The idea to hike the Pacific Crest Trail came later on in my college career. I was on a road trip to the Grand Tetons to see the solar eclipse that happened in 2016 or 17. Okay. Um, and we picked up a friend of mine who went and did 600 miles on the PCT and then he started hitchhiking his way back and we randomly met up with him in Montana and gave him a ride all the way back to the UP. And so he was on half that trip with us and just kept telling us stories about the Pacific Crest Trail, his time hiking it. And on this trip, we were nomads of a sort we would drive look up blm land where we could sleep for free that night we'd go sleep there and we saw the solar eclipse which was just an incredible experience so all that sort of culminated in this in this dream to hike the pct when i graduated and uh and, and i followed that up decided oh. not to get a job right away um i think i skipped my graduation commencements actually i was supposed to be walking across the stage on may 5th and i was five days into hiking the trail on may 5th unreal unreal where are you from originally i'm from downstate michigan so rochester hills it's a suburb of detroit about 45 minutes north of there okay so you said you camping early that's how you fell in love with the up when you made that initial trip up to the porkies up here for sure i made that one trip with my dad and i think we made another one with a family to pictured rocks we never made it as far north as the keweenaw okay 
we, I ended up visiting Michigan Tech in my senior year of high school and saw Mount Ripley from across the portage from across campus and said, yeah, okay, this is where I'm going to go. Right, right. So when you went to school for engineering, right? Okay. And you wanted to do the Pacific Crest Trail and, and do that before you got into a job. Uh, the Pacific Crest Trail, your friend inspired it. Did it, was it instantly you were like, Hey, I want to do this. Or was it a slow and steady thing? Or how did that progression happen? I think it, it was pretty instant. It was a bit of a spark, uh, of an idea that just, I fanned it into a flame. Um, it, it's a very romantic idea to go spend an entire summer living outside, uh, living on a trail. You're carrying all of your necessities on your back. You have to plan, you have to think, uh, it, it was a very attractive idea. And just the more I thought about it, the, the more I was sure it was what I wanted to do. And yes, uh, went to Michigan Tech, graduated with a degree in 2018 for mechanical engineering. And I just always loved traveling. I did a study abroad in school um, down to Chile and just uh, just all these different trips I took, I felt were, were culminating in this big grand adventure where I was just going to go hike 2,650 miles. Right, right. And this is something I've been it's like I've been an obsession of mine for quite a while. Uh, so I might jump around and, and so, but in doing that, I want to, we should just set the stage. What is the PCT? Can you give us the big arching picture of what it is? So people that aren't aware know what, know what it was. Yes. The Pacific crest trail is a contiguous footpath. So it's uh, 2,650 miles of trail that spans California, Oregon, and Washington. So when you're at the Southern tip, you can see the fence between the United States and Mexico and you're at the border and then you just start hiking north and uh it, it meanders through mountains through high deserts um through lush forests through just incredible scenery uh sometimes you're walking along a road and sometimes you're three days from the nearest town and you have to hike out off trail hitchhike and then find your way to town to buy your next uh seven days of food yeah, for sure. And just to paint a big picture of the uh, different ranges that you go through, right? Southern California, your desert type country, but not the desert that you picture in a cartoon, right? I mean, hills, terrain, ravines, stuff like that. For sure. It was really interesting. I hadn't spent too much time in a desert. So I guess it's called the high desert. And you, when you're uh, expecting a desert, you think of, I don't know, Sahara, just like sand dunes. And that's not what it was. It's real hard packed sand. There's hills, mountains, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, a lot more um, flora and fauna than you'd expect. Mm -hmm. uh, you end up seeing these lizards all over the place. Sometimes you see them doing push-ups, which is some weird like mating dance. I don't know, but my friends right. and I got a kick out of these <laughs> lizards just sitting on rocks doing push-ups, getting swole. Yeah, a uh, lot of lot of plants, and and if you hike at night. You get uh, you get treated to some pretty scary, creepy crawlies. Right. I did a couple of night hikes in the desert, and I, I stopped doing it after one where I saw just the longest centipede with orange stripes, and then I saw a tarantula dig into a hole on the side of the trail. Yeah. And I realized, oh, those hills are all filled with giant spiders. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so what I want to do is just try to, which we are doing right now, paint the big picture for people. Then I want to get back to the beginning, the nitty gritty, the thoughts, the feelings, whatever else. So desert, then you make your way into mountains, Sierra Madres, California, yep. right? 
So then you get into the Sierras. Uh, there's this uh, this stop off point, the small town called Kennedy Meadows, and that is known as the start of the Sierra range for the PCT hikers. And so everyone ships some of their necessities for more mountainous terrain to this place. So most people will ship their ice axes there, their micro spikes there, though some hikers will have those earlier on if they're hiking earlier on because you need to be cognizant of when does the snow melt? When do you need this winter gear? Stuff like that. So yeah, no one take actual advice about when to get gear from me on this podcast, you know, do, do the research, ship the stuff depending on when your start date is. But yeah, so you uh, hike out of Kennedy Meadows, the small town, you probably ship yourself some food and some winter gear and you get into the mountain ranges and man, is that great. You go from you know, four liter water carries where you're carrying four liters at a time because the water, uh, you know, there might be 20 miles between a stream to not even carrying, you know, any water except for the liter and your filter uh, accessible in your pack because you're walking by a stream every, you know, 100 yards, every half a mile. There's just some sort of stream with runoff, uh, beautiful mountains, snowy peaks. It's really incredible, the Sierras. Um, If you're going to hike a section of the PCT, you'd want to do the Sierras. Uh, And there's also another smaller, longer trail is what it would be called, uh, the John Muir Trail. Mm -hmm. And that goes through that section. Right, right. So then from there, you would transition into Oregon and then into Washington. That's still mountainous terrain, right? But is it is it thicker forest or what is it? How does that transition happen? Yeah, so you get out of the Sierra Nevada in California and you end up in Northern California, which I didn't really look ahead at what regions I'd be going through too much. I just knew where to ship food when I needed what gear. So I kept a lot of the things a surprise to myself along the hike, which okay. I think was a fun way to do it. But Northern California was a surprise. It was like high desert again, and it was also a pretty big fire year. So there were a lot of areas where we might have had to hitch ahead to avoid a fire closure, and the smoke was pretty relentless. So I remember Northern California being a little bit of a drag. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you wake up, you put the miles in, you get that section behind you. And then we ended up in Oregon, like you said, more lush forests, still mountainous, still hilly. a lot more berries, which was cool. Uh, berry season was starting, so we could find thimble berries, just like we do up here in the UP. Uh, blueberries and uh, huckleberries as well, which were probably my favorite. Okay, um, and then into Oregon and Washington. But I again, I was just trying to paint a big picture. Um, if you don't mind, I have again. I, I feel like I have and will have a lot of questions. Do you mind if we go back to the beginning and say you said it was a small spark, you flamed it into a big idea? <clears throat> What was that like though? I mean, at what point were you like, yes, I'm doing this. And then what were the steps you had to take to make it happen? So the real moment I knew I was going to go on the trip was probably when I applied for the permit and that got accepted. Um, I'd been pretty sure about the idea for a while, but until you get into the permit lottery and, and get your permit, you're really not entirely sure. Uh, from there, I just started doing uh, a lot of research. I had done some backpacking trips I'd been to Isle Royal, so uh, you know I'm no longer going on trips with buddies carrying two school backpacks. We all have some gear. We all know what we're doing a little more, but this is a different animal, uh, an entire summer out hiking. So I just started doing research, and there is uh, so many resources out there on the internet, uh, from Reddit to blogs to YouTube channels, just telling people about their hikes, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And I got deep into the gear lists and trying to figure out uh, you know, where to send food and, and I don't know, the, the nitty gritty. I, I got really into the nitty gritty of planning it. And that was very exciting. 
Yeah. Did you enjoy that just because it was a excitement or anticipation thing? Or was that kind of exercising your engineering brain? Do you think? I think a little bit of both. Uh, you know, it's, it, it means it's real. It means that I get some new gear and it means, uh, I'm going to be on trail with this gear, but yeah, the, the engineering side, you know, preparing, figuring out what's best, uh, the best solution to a problem is a big part of engineering. Um, and then also taking into, uh, consideration, weight, uh, volume, and all of these specific things that the hiking community is realizing are important. So the whole idea of ultralight hiking was something that I learned about in my research, how people are saying, you know, the less you take in your backpack, the better your back's going to feel, the better your legs and feet are going to feel, and the longer you can travel in a day. So reducing your weight comes from a few different places. It can come from not bringing luxury items like a book or a third pair of socks. Or it can also come from better gear, uh, like a more expensive backpack or a sleeping pad. And so there's all these different ways to lighten your load. And I was enjoying trying to do that to the best I could. I never quite got to what people would consider ultra light, but mm -hmm. I was lightweight. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, and my initial interest in this world came from hunting. Uh, getting interested in backpack hunting and then researching gear and stuff that I needed from that and then finding out I, you'd hear about Appalachian Trail, but it was this foreign concept stuff like this Diving into that world learning about this gear the ultralight stuff same thing and realizing there's this world of through hikers and start watching YouTube videos of Pacific Crest trail hikes and stuff and I'm like, what is this like this is unbelievable uh, So I'm super engaged in it. I haven't partaken in it, but I would love to someday but You were already engaged. What was your? backpacking experience you said you went to isle royal were you, were you pretty uh, competent at it would you say going into it i was an all right backpacker at isle royal uh or so i thought now i would laugh at myself i had you know maybe a 70 liter backpack and we did do a pretty long trip but i had you know gear that weighed too much that i didn't exactly need uh and more gear that i didn't exactly need so I don't know. I brought like a zero degree sleeping bag when I could have gotten away with a 20. Um, I had probably more food than I needed. Um, and I don't, uh, yeah, I wasn't quite there yet when I was hiking on Isle Royal. And I wasn't quite there yet when I started hiking the PCT. But one of the cool things is that everyone out there is uh, doing the same thing. And we love to talk gear when we're on trail. And so what, what could happen is uh, someone will give you a pack shakedown. So you'll take your backpack, you'll unload everything, lay it out on the ground and your friends or someone at some, uh, some trail town will be doing pack shakedowns and walk around and say, what is this? What do you need this for? This stuff sack that you put your sleeping bag in that weighs an ounce. You could just stuff your sleeping bag all the way at the bottom of your bag. Boom. You could lose this ounce. Mm -hmm. So people will be doing that along the trail. Okay. Uh, and then thinking about the, the long hike itself, was it the challenge? Was it the, I mean, cause you, obviously it has to be a, a mental challenge as well. Was it the physical challenge? Was it the mental challenge? Was it the, the romantic side of it? What drew you towards that? For me, it was the romantic journey. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that are there for the challenge that I want to see if my body can do this. If I push myself mentally and physically to finish this, uh, it probably will sound arrogant, but I was pretty sure that I could do it. it. It wasn't really too much of a doubt. There were moments that were hard. I didn't quite consider quitting, but there were some really low moments and I remember them pretty vividly. 
but for me it was the journey um and just going out there alone i had friends come out for about a month a buddy hiked with me and then the the first two weeks of that month a couple of other buddies were there hiking with us but yeah for the most part it was me out there uh just meeting people along the way and and having experiences with with other people and i'm still in contact with a lot of them to this day uh mm-hmm. they 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 were were a trail family is what you call it when you're hiking along the trail there there's a culture and one of the aspects is trail names so yep. you know you get given a trail name you can accept it or reject it and it's usually based on uh, an article of clothing a piece of gear something you said something you did a habit of yours and then there are trail families. So you'll be hiking along north with a bunch of other people and people that are like-minded and get along will end up just planning together. Okay, yeah, let's go to this place. Let's stay in this town. And you form a family along the trail. Okay. What was your trail name? So my trail name was Ketchup. Uh, it's kind of a dual name because I do love Ketchup the condiment, but it was named uh, Ketchup as in fall behind in Ketchup. Yeah. I tend to walk pretty quickly, uh, but I also sleep in and take a decent amount of breaks. If I see a rock with a good view, I'm going to have a snack or a smoke there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll see people passing by and I'll walk my four mile an hour average pace right back up to them within like an hour or so. So they named me Ketchup. Sure. Okay. Um, so... I think if I was to do it and my dream around it is the romantic side of things, um, it's a huge physical challenge, right? But I feel like if you take it easy or take it slow through the beginning, you're going to work yourself into shape. You give yourself enough time or push yourself hard enough. You will make it. I don't for sure. You're going to hit lows, but for me, it is the romantic side. Uh, so I'm, I guess I'm excited to hear that. That's what it is for you too. It's the, like the journey and the uh, randomness of it that, you don't get in day-to-day life. I mean, right now your life is you, you wake up at this time, you go to work, you go to your gas pump. You're not affected very much by the weather. You don't meet random people on a day-to-day basis very frequently. Throw all that out the window, right? Mm -hmm. For, for what you were looking to get into. Is that, is that kind of speak towards what you were looking for? No, that's speaking towards it for sure. We're in these routines. We wake up, we go to work, we see the same people. Occasionally you'll chat with someone new at the bar on Friday at five. Um, but for the most part, it, it, it can be a little monotonous, this everyday life, uh, if you don't shake it up. But the randomness of trail, you still have a routine. You still wake up, you eat, you pack up your camp, you put it in your pack and you start walking. But from there, everything is you know, you, you have no idea what's going to happen, who you're going to meet, what great conversation you're going to have, great view, um, you know, a cloud formation that's just right over that mountain. I remember one day I started seeing signs on the side of the trail that were like something, something hot springs, five miles. I was like, what? Are we going to yeah. get hot springs? <laughs> and we hiked in to the coolest secluded hot spring spot, had no idea it was coming. There's yeah, just a bunch of people hanging out, hiker trash. That's a very affectionate term, we're hiker trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, just hanging out, bathing. And we took, you know, two hours off of our big hiking day because we thought, yeah, we can't pass up just a, a dip in the springs. No, right, right. So all this planning, all this preparation, finally you're there. What was that like? Did you fly in? Did you drive in? Somebody came, dropped you off? How did that work? I don't know how it's going to work for future hikers, but I was lucky that these two trail angels named Scout and Frodo were still doing their thing when I went and hiked. So a trail angel is someone who lives by or near the trail and loves the trail and the community. 
they tend to help out hikers in whatever way they want to or can. So some trail angels just hitchhike uh, or give people rides from a trailhead to town. Some will house you. Uh, some will hike with their truck up along the trail with what we call the bubble, like the, the concentrated amount of hikers on this long trail going northward or Nobo northbound. Um, and this guy Coppertone, he'll give you root beer floats and just chat with you. And hmm. so you show up to a trailhead, you see Coppertones there, you smile and you get a root beer float. Sure. Um, but when I flew in, I signed up to stay with Scout and Frodo. So I get to the airport. Uh, there's a guy there waiting for me, a volunteer for Scout and Frodo. He picks me up, drives me to Scout and Frodo's house and we, uh, we hang out. They have like a little hiker store in the back. I ship some stuff ahead to their house. So I was able to pick up uh, a food drop and a little bit of gear from them, um, some fuel for my stove and Scout gave us advice about what the trail is like, you know, the realities of this first section that we're going to go through. And then in the morning, we all climbed into some more volunteer cars and they drove us to the trailhead. So the community around the trail is just really incredible. Uh, I slept in a tent in their backyard and uh, we, we get to the trailhead in the morning. It's like a 40 minute drive from Scout and Frodo's house. And yeah, that moment was pretty surreal. You see the monument, uh, you see just a bunch of other people, uh, forest service workers checking people in, checking permits. And yeah, that moment, um, you know, maybe it's because I've got photos of it and maybe because it was that important in my life, but I've got, you know, flashbulb memories from that moment as well. Yeah. And a week before this, you were at Michigan Tech going to school or what was the timeline? Because you said you were five days later, you were walking across the stage. So it must have been right before that you were yeah, in school. It was right before that I was at school, um, getting all my gear ready, finishing finals, uh, finishing my, you know, my super senior year, my fifth year at Michigan Tech. Uh making sure that I wasn't going to fail senior design that it wasn't in question. Uh, it, right. it was a fun project, but man, senior design was, was a tough one. Yeah. But I, I can't remember if I had to drive down to Rochester first or not. I think I probably just flew out of here, uh, with my backpack and nope, sorry. I'm remembering. I, I did drive down like the day before my flight and ended up at my mom's house down in Rochester, had all my gear laid out, ready to go. And then, yeah, flew out of De Detroit to, to head to the trail. Okay. And so now you're here at the terminus or at the start, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a big group of people with you? Yeah, there were 20 to 30 people, uh, at least all the people from Scout and Frodo's. We took a group shot at the monument at the terminus. And one funny thing is that hundreds of miles later, I'm hanging out with my trail family and we look back at our Scout and Frodo, or our, uh, you know, uh, day one photos and we realize, oh my gosh, ow, that, that's you, catch up, that's you. We, we started on the yeah. same day and we're in the same photo, huh. uh, which was fun. But yeah, so a lot of people uh, and we're all just, it seemed like there was a reluctance to take those first couple steps and then people started going and filing out along the trail. I remember there was a... <laughs> a mile one uh, road sign looking thing on the side of the trail. I got a pretty goofy picture by that because I just thought that was hilarious to put a mile one sign a mile into this, you know, 2000 plus mile journey. Right. Um, this is also where I learned that I hiked a little bit quicker than most people. So I let a lot of people go out ahead of me. I was kind of lollygagging, taking pictures at the terminus and I ended up having to, you know, get my strategies down for, hey, on your left, uh, mind if I pass all that. And I found that I accidentally scared people a couple times. So hmm. I was 
trying to do the funny thing of like, okay, how many steps before I get to someone do I have to say what to have them turn around and not frighten them? Right. right. <laughs> I just had a funny, I've, I guess a different sense of humor, but I'm pictured myself there. It'd be funny if you just started sprinting off of the start line. Did, <laughs> ever, did you see that ever? <laughs> Didn't see that, but that'd be hilarious if someone just, uh, the teeny little backpack started jogging on out like, all right, see you guys in Canada. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, just to mess with people, you know, they'd have a, they'd be like, who is this guy? But anyways, yeah. um, so seriousness is getting back into it. <clears throat> so you're a mile in, whatever else, what thoughts are going through your mind at the beginning of it? I'm here. I'm finally here. I'm doing this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just remember a lot of gratitude that I made it. I was safe. I didn't get injured before I started. I had all of my gear. I didn't forget anything and I'm walking north. Yeah. And eventually I do want to get into some gear stuff because that'll tie into your business. But mm -hmm. for now, just focusing on the trail side of things. So you're here, you're walking north. <clears throat> what were the first days, weeks? Uh, was it what you expected? Was it not? What was that all like? Yeah, some parts were what I expected. Some parts weren't. We talked a little bit earlier about getting into shape for this. And the maxim is that the trail is going to get you into shape. So you just take it easy your first couple of days and the trail is going to whip you into shape. Um, we're not wearing big boots. We're wearing uh, basically trail running shoes. That's the new the new trend in, in hiking. As long as your backpack is lighter, uh, you know, if your backpack's under 40 pounds, you should be in basically tennis shoes, but you know, some beefy tennis shoes. Um, I'm walking along and just figuring it out as I go. I made a couple of friends early on that I didn't stick with the whole trail, but it was nice to just meet up with some people uh, that had a similar pace um, from all over the place. One uh, was French Canadian, uh, one was German, and they were really cool to hang out with, and a couple of other Americans. Um, and we would hike we would camp we hit a store at one time and decided to hike out a couple of beers because why not mm -hmm. you're on the trail it's summertime we hiked out a pounder beer for our uh, campsite like our third night and that was really cool um and yeah there was also this uh time constraint i've mentioned that i had some buddies come out and meet me on trail well they were going to meet me at mile 200 on day x i, I forget what the timeline was but it okay. was such that i had to move my first couple of days so I, I was moving, uh, I don't know, hitting 20s, and I ended up catching them a day and a half after they flew in and started hiking slowly, uh, which was pretty cool. I, I came into a campsite where I thought they were, and, you know, not much service out there. So I'm, like, doing mental math in my head. All right, they flew in here on this day. They probably hiked a 7 to 10 miles today. All right, yeah, they might be here. And I see their tents, and I started walking in and making noise and yeah, we reunited and started hiking together. Yeah. And these are some of the buddies that you had done past trips with? Um, I had done a couple trips with some of them. Uh, yes. And then some of them I hadn't done trips with, but I've done trips with all of them since. Uh, and we, yeah, we, we hiked along and some of them had some troubles with shoes and blisters. And that's a huge thing on trail is blisters. Mm. You know, you got to get the right shoes. A uh, weird thing about the trail is a lot of people's feet grow. Hmm. Uh, I went from a size 13 to a size 14 wide by the time I was done with the trail. Crazy. And then my feet have gone down to a regular 14, but not down to a 13 yet. Hmm. And this was, you know, four years ago. Right, right. So meeting your friends there, there were some that you had been on trips with before, but they didn't. Were they all there just because there's a permitting process, right? You have to be pretty aggressive in getting those permits. Would they have joined you for the whole thing if they could have gotten permits or was it 
always that they were only going to do sections with you? Uh, it was always they were going to do sections with me. I was the only one really planning to do the whole trail. They were able to get short-term permits for the parts of the trail that they hiked. The real ticket is the long-term full trail permits with a start date that works. Uh, yeah. So only 50 per day can leave from Campo. That's the southern terminus uh, every day. Mm -hmm. The reason they weren't out for the whole trail was a mix. Uh, mostly they were getting jobs. Yeah. Um, and I was the crazy one that didn't do any interviews, didn't go to career fair and decided I'm going to do this whole thing and uh, I'll figure out a job when I'm done. Yeah. That's awesome. You get the rest of your life to work, right? That's the idea. Um, I, I learned a couple things early on. You know, uh, I mentioned I went camping with my dad a lot, uh, but he passed when I was 17. So that when you lose someone that young, you kind of learn, well, what are you going to do with your life and why and when are you going to do the things you want to do? And so I try and live, you know, you got to plan for the future. You got to make a living somehow, but you also got to have fun in these day to day. And it's so easy to get caught up in the grind that you forget. We're not here for that long. We got to do some of these crazy things we want to do before we're too old to do them or before we die. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to hear about your man, that dad, that gives you some perspective though. Yeah. Yeah, definitely some perspective. Uh, it, it, it sucks. It was a long time ago, but you still think about him every day. Uh, thank you. And yeah, it's you, you don't want to think about what life would be like if it hadn't happened. But, uh, you know, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's tough. I, I feel for you. Um, I do real estate. Before this, I did car sales. I, I meet with a lot of people in their 60s, 70s in that age. Uh, and what I'm, what I'm getting to is I see them with a different perspective on life is more about work, more than just work. It's more than just how much is in your retirement account. It's more about the people that you know and the uh, relationships that you have and the memories that you create. So I feel like through that exposure, I was just talking with a client the other day, through that exposure, like continuous repeated exposure to people that have that mindset, for some reason, I feel like I'm 28 going on 60. Mm. Uh, and that I really appreciate that. And I can, I don't know what it is, but for some reason I feel like that plays into it where I can see that coming before you even know it in blink of an eye and you're there. So that kind of ties into what you're saying, right? The live intentionally and yeah. Absolutely. Uh, maybe it is true that with age comes wisdom <laughs> Yeah. on the trail. You run into people of all ages and they say very similar things. Um, and they're 20, 30 years ahead of me saying, yeah, you know, I, I did this job for 30 years and just decided, screw it. I'm, I'm going to go hike this trail right now. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I did the same thing like before I hiked the trail. And, you know, they're saying, hey, that's great. And uh, just vibing on, you know, the, the idea of what we do with our time um, and, and why we do that. Um, I had a thought. I Take as long as you need. If we have a break here, we can okay. we can edit it out. <clears throat> something about time, your dad, elderly, the trail. There's something about elderly. I, I think I'll just uh, let it slip. Sure. Sorry. We'll see if it comes back. Cool. Interject it back in. Um, but thinking about that, that is cool. Go ahead. I got it. Uh, and then you also talking about um, talking to 60, 70 year olds that are, that are saying, you know, you don't have to work. It's more about relationships. It's more about the things you do and the people that you do them with. I met some people out there. I was so surprised to see. I met a man named Tinker. Uh, Tinker was 72 years old. I met him on his birthday and he was through hiking the entire trail. 
Uh, I remember pretty vividly the day too, because I saw, I was coming around this bend and I see him reaching down into a, a small ravine, not, not super dangerously, but it looked precarious. And I walk up and I'm like, oh man, can, can I please help you? Um, yeah. I, I would just would rather me get this backpack out of this ravine for you. Um, so I, I crawl down, grab it, pick it up, bring it up. And Tinker and I hiked for about a mile together. I, I cooled my pace a bit so I could chat with him because he just seemed like such an interesting person. And he told me about his life. Uh, he spent most of his time tinkering in his basement. He was an electrical engineer of sorts. And I think that his first hike or backpacking trip was when he was 68 or 69. And he hated it. He got in his car at the trailhead and said, I'm never doing this ever again. Hmm. And about 20 minutes later in the car, he's planning his next trip. Yeah, That's what backpacking is like. It's a lot of type two fun, the kind of fun that isn't fun until after you're done. Right. And uh, by the time I met him, he had hiked the Appalachian Trail all the way through and he was midway through his Pacific Crest Trail hike. And that's another thing that I found very cool, uh, meeting people who are in their 70s uh, still so active and asking them, hey, how do I do that? Like, what's your advice for me? I ask that question a lot of people um, that are still active that old or, or still doing adventurous things like that at that age. And just the idea, I can be doing stuff like that for another 40 years and, and even more. So there there is time to, to do more. And um, I don't know, it, it's cool to think that you don't have to go into a retirement home at 60 and, and stop doing crazy things. Mm -hmm, for sure. Did you learn any lessons you can pull from from those guys? Uh, I learned plenty. I keep some of them around. Uh, some of them are just happy memories. There was one guy I ran into that ran ultra marathons. It was, he was so casual about it, which I found hilarious. He's a an ultra endurance athlete and it takes me a day to figure out that he ran the Western States 100, like one of my dream runs to, to train for. And by this time, I think I had done a 50 K, which is a 31 miler. And then I had, you know, when I got back from trail, I trained for, um, some longer runs to do the 50 Ks a little bit faster, but I was, you know, a budding ultra running, uh, kid back then. And I asked him, you know, what's your advice for an ultra? You know, how do I run a hundred miles? And he said, all right, this is a secret. Now this is the best advice you're ever going to get. So at the beginning of the race, you start, you start slow. Okay. And then in the middle, you're going to taper to go a little bit slower. And then you're going to finish slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so the secret to running a hundred miles is to just do it as slow as you need to do it. The turtle wins the race. Yeah. Okay. And that's a world you've dove into right i think i wanted to get into that later some of that ultra running for sure type stuff um that is what you're something you're currently into yeah uh i took some time off this winter a because you know, houghton hancock winters are tough to run in but i'll have a treadmill next year which is exciting um and then i also had an injury that i was uh, uh nursing so i plan to get back into it this summer um summer races coming up i'm gonna do the grand island 50k again i've done that the past couple years um, and then the Mount Bohemia 50 K I might do, or I might look into the QAnon mountain lodge. They have a race where I think it's a 12 or 24 hour where you just run laps of a course mm -hmm. for 12 or 24 hours and see how many miles you can rack up. Sure. Sure. Okay. So, but taking it back to the trail, you met a lot of cool people. Did you, did you know that going into it? I mean, through my research that I've done, I knew that you'd expect that, but did you expect that? I didn't expect it to be my favorite part. Okay. Um, the scenery is great. The hiking is great, you know, living outside is great. But I think my favorite part was probably the people, uh, my trail family and everybody else too. Uh, you just meet 
so many people and you already have one thing highly in common with them. So it's just very easy to strike up, strike up a conversation and, and see where it goes from there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, in that setting, somebody else I interviewed said that like in that setting or for their instance, it was a different setting. You meet people on a deeper level instantly compared to passing somebody in the grocery store. You may have similar interests, but when you're on the trail and you're doing that, you instantly know we have this shared common bond. So it removes a bunch of the initial walls, right? Yeah, that's exactly true. Uh, I hadn't thought about it in that context recently, but no, that's exactly true. There's something about going through hardship or similar hardship that brings people together. Yeah. We're walking down the trail. Both of our bodies hurt in the morning. We both have walked 15 miles today. Uh, you all of a sudden have that in common. It's like the walls are automatically down, you yeah. know, no one's very guarded. Um, it's pretty anonymous too, which is interesting, but in a good way, you know, on the internet it's anonymous, but it's not face to face. So people can be pretty hostile. Um, on the trail, you have these trail names. So I'm ketchup and I'm hanging out with my friend, cool runnings and mm-hmm. we can just be ourselves together very easily because I don't actually know his name is Brian Stedman until after I finish the trail or until I'm like, Hey, can I get your Instagram just so we can keep in touch? You know? Right. Yeah. Is there an element too? I found, and I could tie this into many things. It's almost sometimes easier to open up to a guy on the subway. I don't take the subway, but I'm just yeah. saying like in that instance, than yeah. it is like your dad or your brother or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, whatever it might be a family member. Sometimes there's a lifetime of history and it's harder to break through some, some of that compared to someone that's just met on the trail and you know them as this trail name, right? Yeah. Someone that's not, uh, that, that doesn't have the history in their head, uh, you know, whether it's right or wrong, you know, you can kind of outline the whole situation to them and get something off your chest or talk about something, uh, with someone completely impartial. And, and yeah, that, it's a pretty cool experience just running into that many people or having that many opportunities to, start a new conversation. Sure. Yeah. And again, there is a, a lot of avenues I could go from there. I'm thinking about close relationships and, and how it is easier to open up, but maybe we'll save that for another time. But thinking back about the, again, going on the trail, you're going through the desert. Was it pretty quick where you hit some big struggles or was it like, Hey, we're coasting and this is awesome. Um, pretty coasty. Uh, there were definitely some blisters. Um, my first pair of shoes I brought had a pretty narrow toe box. And then the second pair I bought, I basically bought them because my first pair were falling apart. I had to rip the side open to stick my toes out oh, at crazy. one point. Um, but yeah, by my third pair of shoes, I was really cruising and I found a pair of shoes I loved and, and now I'm, I'm all good on shoes. But, uh, yeah, besides the feet hurting a little bit, I'd say, uh, my biggest struggle came near Yosemite in Tuolumne Meadows. There was this day I was just being a little bit silly. Sometimes you get to a river, right? And if there's not a log laying across it, right where the trail is, you're probably going to have to walk through it. There's a couple different ways. Do you take off your shoes and socks and roll your pants up? Do you just walk through with your shoes? Well, if it's early in the day, I'll just walk through with my shoes. If it's late in the day, I don't want to get my shoes wet, not have them dry out and put wet shoes on in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I was being a little silly by just like uh, not taking off my shoes because there were so, so many mosquitoes. Um, I ended up spending like 40 minutes trying to find a log upstream to walk across, mm-hmm. which was just, again, my fault. I'm being silly. But I ended up getting so frustrated uh, by just how many mosquitoes and how intense and good at being a mosquito they were that I set up my camp and just called it a day, like five miles early. Sure. Um, a couple, little bit of backstory uh, I'll throw in before, you know, after I talk about these mosquitoes. 
it's pretty funny. Um, these mosquitoes out in California are incredible in the Sierra. They are so good at biting you. Uh, okay. Downstate Michigan, they're not that great. You know, you see a mosquito, you can smack him. He's dead. It's fine. Up here in the UP, mosquitoes are a little more intense. Like they can get you um, if you're not careful. The mosquitoes out in California are like Apache helicopters. Huh. They hone in on the exact spots on your body that you can't reach that have clothing that's thin enough to get through. They were just very impressive and very terrible. Sure. Um, so, yeah, having a bug net is a must if you're going through Tuolumne, um, you know, when the rivers are running. But uh, one really cool thing that happened to me at Scout and Frodo's was that one of the people who I started the trail with was a school teacher. He had his kids write letters to hikers for them to open on their worst day. Huh. So he was handing out letters. Um, they're on construction paper with little pictures drawn by, I don't know, 10 year olds. Um, all of them were different, different colors, stickers, writing. And so that day, sitting in Tuolumne Meadow, uh, a beautiful place, by the way, uh, I can hear the mosquitoes just attacking my tent from all sides. I'm in a terrible, terrible mood because, yeah, now I've got bites on my feet. Uh, my feet are wet. Anyway, um, I opened this letter because I decided, yeah, this is my worst day so far. I didn't think I was going to open this at all. And I opened it and I read it and my mood complete 180 hmm. um this was the kindest sweetest letter and it was the perfect time to read it it was this young kid um exalting me for trying uh for endeavoring to go and do this really difficult feat uh saying things like uh, you're like a knight i want to be like you one day maybe hmm. one day we can meet and we can talk about this adventure and i want to go on adventures too and yeah i have this card still hanging in my room next to a couple of other trail memorabilia and I didn't really have too many bad days after that. I, I was able to keep that mantra a little bit. You know, I'm a knight. I'm, I'm walking forward. I'm on an adventure. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah. <clears throat> Thinking along the lines of that card, things like that, what did you bring for uh, memories, books, stuff like that? Any extras? Uh, what did I bring onto the trail? Yeah, from yeah. the start. What did you bring that was extra? Uh, things I brought that were extra. I brought a camera. I brought a Sony A6000. Um, I think that I would bring a camera again. It's definitely a luxury item, but I enjoyed being able to take uh, photos. I'm not a photographer. I'm, I'm a hobbyist at best, but it was really cool. Um, you're seeing such great views that even the most amateur photographer can take a pretty good looking picture out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Did you bring anything else like uh, written notes other than that, books, anything like that, pictures um, to look back at? Yeah, no books, no pictures, no written notes from family or anything. Um, I think I had, you know, I had my cell phone so I could, uh, you know, look at texts that were written to me when I started and stuff like that. But I don't think I had too much sentimental memorabilia at the beginning there. No. Sure. Okay. And then <clears throat> again, back to the trail, you're, you're moving into the Yosemite on from there, but what is back to the start, beginning, middle, what does a day-to-day -day look like, right? You, you, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, breaking down camp and continuing on, but what's a typical day on the trail look like? Typical day on the trail, you wake up, when you wake up is up to you. There are different maxims like 10 before 10, get 10 miles in before 10 a.m. 
I didn't get 10 before 10 a lot. Sure. I'm a, I'm a chronic sleeper. I like to sleep. So I'd sleep probably till like nine. Um, if I ever go on a long hike again, it's my goal to wake up at eight every day Okay. and, and get rolling, get walking a little bit quicker. So you wake up, you, um, I, I would wake up in my tent. I would have these bags with an oatmeal packet, some granola, some chia seeds, and some sunflower seeds that I would make up when I'm in town into these, uh, sandwich bags that I reused. Um, I would pour that into my empty jar, pour some cold water into that, mix it and eat that. So that's my breakfast. I'd pack my cliff bar or two and whatever other snacks into my fanny pack, um, start stuffing my sleeping bag and all the gear into my backpack, uh, get out of my tent, tear down my tent, pack my tent, if it's wet, it goes on the outside. If it's dry, it goes on the inside. Uh, they're single wall tents, so sometimes the dew will make it wet. And so your first stop, your first lunch stop, you'll uh, you'll lay your tent out, dry it out, and then roll it back up again. Throw it inside of the backpack. So then you just start walking. Um, probably before you walk or in your first mile, you're looking at your phone, and there's this app called Gut Hooks. Gut Hooks is a really great app. You can download different sections offline. And your GPS will follow you without service. So you can see where you are on the trail. It's got a map. And then there are waypoints, little pins ahead of you on trail. So you'll look at where you're going to get your first water and your next water. And to see, you know, if you're at a water source, how much you need to pack up before you go. Because a huge thing about being on trail is nutrition. And being on trail actually sort of changed the way I think about food, nutrition, and fueling myself. It's very, um, I don't know scientific effects than be like you need this much water per five miles you need this much food to not get tired um so i'm not really about luxury going out to dinner stuff like that as much anymore i'm just like all right what are the base nutrients i need how much water do i need to drink during the day and i get it done um an interesting thing about being on trail is it's pretty common that when you wake up you are hurting your feet hurt your legs hurt it's bad. Uh, You walk like you're 80 years old in the morning when you're on trail. And then the first three steps, you know, they're tough. The next three, they're a little easier. And by the time you're a mile in, you're like a nimble walking machine. Hmm. Um, I don't know what it is, how it works, but you don't feel good when you wake up. But by the first mile, your body is just ready to go. Yeah. Did that ever go away? Or was that like that the whole time? It was like that the whole time. And it was like that when I got home. (laughs) The trail does do a toll on the body. Um, I think that it, you know, affects different people differently. Uh, I certainly, you know, was sore for a couple months after I didn't start running again after trail until at least two months after, I think. And even that might've been pushing it a little bit. Um, it's just very strange that you can wake up, you don't feel good, but then if you start walking, all of a sudden you feel great. Yeah. It's, it's a little confusing. Sure. Have you ever looked into the the science behind that? Is it like a muscle restoration thing or a lactic acid thing? Or I have not looked into it. Yeah. But might you, be smart to, sure. to actually have like a, a base understanding of what it is and maybe how to mitigate or um, make it better. Yeah. Either way, I could see not like it's cool. Just you know that if you just get up and start pushing, you'll feel good again shortly later right for sure and then i also have you know a romantic idea about why people's feet spread out it's obviously just because you have a weighted pack and you're walking and putting pressure on your feet but i like the idea that you're spending so much time with the earth that your feet are spreading out to like grab more of the earth (laughs) sure more stabilization and and to just uh be one with the earth but yeah no 
silly thoughts like that go through your head when you're hiking. Yeah. Have you read the book Born to Run? I have read the the, the book Born to Run. I read that book about once a year. Yeah. Um, I actually listen to it on my Audible. Um, about every spring, I'll start that book in my ears as I'm slowly jogging away the uh, the winter lull of my running career and use it as motivation to get back into it. That's a fantastic book. Yeah, absolutely. As you talked initially about your feet changing sizes, whatever else, that's what it made me think of is these guys running bare feet. Their feet are different than somebody like you or I or most of the world that wears uh, highly supportive shoes and stuff like that. For sure. Barefoot Ted and Ataru Umara, um, amazing role models when it comes to traversing long distances uh, with your legs. Uh, they do talk about uh, minimalist sandals and shoes, and that is a trend in through hiking. So there are these shoes out there called ultras, uh, the lone peaks. And so what they are, they're zero drop shoes, which means that your heel is at the same level as your toes. Most tennis shoes are going to have a five to 10 millimeter drop, which means that your heel is a little bit higher. So you walk heel toe a little bit more easily. These zero drop shoes, um, they can be a little uncomfortable walking heel toe. And what they actually do is they make your feet, uh, okay, flat, but what happens is your feet will kind of tell the rest of you how to walk for their maximum comfort. So imagine walking barefoot. You don't walk heel toe unless you're in lush grass. If you're walking barefoot on concrete, you're walking on the balls of your feet, choosing carefully where you're going to place. And it's very nimble. So the less of a break you give your feet, the more you're going to walk like we were meant to. Um, it's an interesting thing. Big fan of Born to Run. That, that book really gets into it. Yeah, for sure. That is an awesome book. I really enjoyed it, but I haven't, uh, I guess since then I will be more prone to, if I'm out somewhere like let's run around barefoot or mm -hmm. whatever, or, or again, not really worrying about, do I have this crazy supportive shoe? I guess on the flip side, backpack hunting, we're putting on some crazy weight and going up these hills and whatever else. So we will uh, have some pretty stiff boots, for but, sure. there, but there's a part of me that thinks that is that good, but it's only for a week at a time. I'm not sure, but either way, there's a lot of, a lot of variables, I guess that go into it. Yeah, I think I think if you're backpack hunting, you know, you, you've got, I don't know, a, a gun or a bow or something with you. You've got some heavy stuff. I think having the, the extra support of the boots is probably the smart way to go for the, those weekends. Yeah, for sure. But again, back to the trail. I just it's just the thought of it is just so unbelievable. But you, there's obviously again, you're going with this big romantic vision. But eventually you get into a routine, right? And there's got to be times where it gets tough. Be from just a, uh, beyond even like mosquitoes, stuff like that. Is there a time where it gets monotonous or it starts to feel like work or uh, what is that like? Yeah, it absolutely does get monotonous. Um, as I was going through the day, I kind of thought about it and yeah, uh, the monotony sets in cause you know, the, the glamor of actually being on trail and being in mountains, it, it can wear off a little bit, but your worst day on trail is always going to be better than your best day in the office is what sure. people would say when they're out there. So there's a whole lot of um, helping each other keep the perspective that we're lucky to be out here and doing this. Um, uh, but, you know, I won't lie. It, it gets hard. It gets monotonous. There are times where you're like, should I be spending this much time doing this? I'm only walking. This is all I'm doing. Could right. I be doing something more constructive? But then the next day uh, you hang out with your trail family at some random trail town bar and just have the best night of your life. And, mm -hmm. and there you go. Like you got the, a, an amazing story. I still tell, and I only got it because I'm out here walking in this direction with these people right now. Yeah, for sure. 
and, and you must get to the point where you're, I mean, there's times you're looking at these amazing views, these $10 million views and you're numb to it, right? Yeah, no. perhaps a little bit, um, but but really sometimes not really because what I keep thinking <clears throat> is that I'm out in the middle of nowhere. You can't drive to this view. Mm-hmm. Like the tourist that's going into Yellowstone, they can't drive to this view. You have to walk 50 miles to see what I'm seeing right now. Right. And that makes it special in its own way. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about that, that you could become numb to it potentially, right? Uh, ideally, no. But also, do you start to find beauty in little things too? Again, lizards doing push-ups and stuff like this or what? <laughs> Absolutely. You start seeing beauty in lizards doing push-ups. Yeah, anything like slightly uh, out of the ordinary or anything super ordinary, um, you know, noticing the, the rhythms of the wildlife, stuff like that is pretty cool. Um, and then there's also other wildlife that really throws you off your rhythm. I remember... Uh, couple times seeing black bears and just the the start that that gives me and for a couple of them the start that that gave them one of them was i walked around a corner and a bear was walking around the corner and we saw each other and we both just bolted yeah (laughs) (laughs) um another one i was eating and i heard something behind me and i figured out that i'm downwind from this bear making my food and so he can't smell me and he can't quite see me yet and i'd really prefer to just keep it that way Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden my adrenaline spikes i start packing everything up very very slowly Uh, one thing i learned on a previous trip is uh, a maxim i keep slow is steady and steady is fast so if you need to do something fast do it slowly okay so i'm packing up you know slowly very meticulously get on my gear put on the backpack and i walk quietly away from this bear and he's none the wiser <laughs> how far away were you at that point um maybe like 100 yards okay yeah uh we're told not to worry about black bears like you can fight off a black bear a buddy of mine um he was in his tent sleeping heard some noise and a black bear was reaching under his tent trying to grab at his backpack to grab his food and pull it out and he just kind of swatted at him a couple of times with his trekking pole realized about halfway through that it was a bear ripping his backpack up right and yeah the next morning his backpack had you know three big talon uh swipes in it unreal (laughs) yeah but everyone was okay so we were good okay um and i've also said on a recent podcast i said this that you, you would expect, I feel like there's many layers and many ways to look at it, but you would expect the trail to be transformational at the same time it is and it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Like you still have, if you have some personal struggles at that time, they're still there. You can't outrun them. Um, but at the same time, they can maybe help you work through those things. You know what I'm saying? Like it, 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 you picture this romantic thing, this, this grand adventure, uh, but at the same time, you're still working. There's still some monotony, but at the same time, it is transforming you and it is helping you through all that. Does any of that make sense? I feel like I'm talking myself in circles, but. Yeah, no, uh, to talk about this, you have to talk in circles because it's both true and false. Uh, for a lot of people, they're out there for a transformation to assert, uh, seek some kind of nirvana or to solve some problem. Um, there's a lot of people out there who were addicts and this is how, you know, uh, they're formerly addicts and this is how they they cope. They just go walk really long distances every year. I met people who hike every five years as a dietary reason. Um, they eat however they want for five years, put on a bunch of weight, and they go for a hike and they lose it all. And hmm. then they spend a couple of years skinny and then they like do it all over again. Um, there are people out there trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. There are people out there who this is what they want to do with their life and they're just full-time hikers. Um, there are people out there for all sorts of different reasons. Um, 
I certainly learned a lot when I was out there and it gave me direction. It, it helped me decide what I wanted to do as a job with the rest of my life, which is probably unique that I ended up where I did. Um, but there's a lot of companies that cater to hikers that started by someone going for a through hike. So, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who found different jobs by through hiking and thinking, Oh, uh, marketing or I don't know, accounting, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no people are out there for all sorts of reasons, learn all sorts of things about themselves. And some people don't get what they wanted out of it and either go for another hike or, or don't go for another hike. Um, it was common to hear people talk about how, you know, they wanted to figure themselves out on this trail. And uh, some people would caution against that because that maybe isn't what it's for, or maybe that's just not what it's for, for me. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, there's just many angles and, and ways to look at it, but one for a little bit, I want to explore, if you don't mind, part of this, the, the whole idea behind the podcast is obsessed, right? Because I've, I'm into something, I'm in it all the way. And I wonder that's not super unique, but not everybody is that way. That is that genetic or is that what, what is that? And you mentioned the addict going out there is. I know just through my personality type that if I was into any type of substance, I would be all in on that as well. Mm -hmm. So it can absolutely be a detrimental thing, right? Having that personality trait that I think is beneficial in work and in whatever it might be. So it's beneficial here, but it can be detrimental here. It's the same trait. It's the same personality. Is that, is it that personality that is attracted towards this larger scale trip like this? Wow. That's very interesting. I, I think I could venture to say yes. Um, maybe not only them, but yeah, I could see that. Um, a lot of people like that out there. I have a very similar personality trait. Um, if I'm into something, I'm, I'm very into it. Uh, so long distance hiking and running. Uh, maybe you could say that I'm obsessed with uh, moving my body around with my feet in whatever way it is that I can. So I, I can't go for a full through hike right now, but I can go out trail running every day and try and get 10, 20 miles on the Mastojito trails locally. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely see like an addictive personality getting a hold of through hiking and just the, the freedom it gives them, but also the uh, effort they have to put in to, to get that freedom. Yeah, it's a very attractive thing. Yeah. But do you see, do you agree with kind of what I'm saying, how it can be both positive and negative at the same time? Oh yeah. Cause you know, a channel that into my business as well. Like, um, I probably work too much, but at, at this point with a, you know, only three-year-old business, that's probably a good thing that, um, I'm addicted to, to getting in there and, and working. And, uh, my partner is pretty similar in that way. Um, my, the co-founder of, of our company, um, yeah, we're, we work a lot yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's beneficial to have that trait that, you know, um, it, it's either an all or nothing or addictive personality, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I just, I never would have put that together that maybe that is that personality that is attracted to that. And maybe that's why uh, somebody who has a history with addiction is attracted to that as well. Um, for one is a cleansing thing, but as two is just, that's what they're, it's a grand thing and it, and it yeah, it can grip them. But, um, I do want to get into your company and I'm excited to hear about that because business and sales and that world is something I've been engaged in. So I'm excited to hear about that, but back on the trail, still thinking about that. We can go as long as you want or as short as you want, but what was the progression from Yosemite to Northern California, to Oregon, to Washington, mentally, physically, what was that progression all like? Um, it was interesting. California is just so long. Uh, you're stuck in California for such a long time. And then you end up crossing a border in Oregon and it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, you're starting to tick down the miles. You're realizing like 
you're you're over halfway. Um, it was exciting the further north that you got. Uh, there were a couple sections up there that I had to skip due to fire closures. Um, mm-hmm. And then I tragically missed like the last 100 miles or so because I had to get to a wedding. Um, they, they were closed for a fire, those miles. And so I just said, all right, I'm just going to plan to get to the beginning of that closure and then go to my wedding. So I slowed down a little bit, got there. Um, and then it turns out if I had kept hiking at pace, I probably, you know, it might've opened up and let me finish, but okay, I'm going to go out and do the whole trail again anyway. And then I'll probably go do those miles twice just to say I've done it twice. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it did get a little monotonous further up too, cause we're further along in the fire season. And like I said, there's just a lot of smoke, um, living in Michigan, growing up here, you don't really realize what they mean by saying that these wildfires are causing smoke and haze. But when you're really out there and you can't see very far and you're having a little bit of a harder time breathing and going up hills is a little bit tougher on the lungs. You really realize just like what these people at West go through when these fires are ripping through. Um, and you know, it, it's pretty sad. Yeah, for sure. Um, so even though you took off a hundred miles or, or 200 miles here, hundred miles here, obviously it's still monumental. Uh, there's probably a part of you that little bit bugs you that you didn't do that. But so trying to remove that and say, Hey, this is crazy. Like to do this is very cool. Once you are near the end, getting to the end, where are you at? Like, are you can't wait to get over with? Is it? Yeah. What's that experience like? Yeah, I was pretty ready for it to be done. <laughs> I, I could have stayed out longer. I don't know. With it being my first trek, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of things I would do differently. I'd have a lighter pack. I think I'd take better care of my body. Um, so I think next time, you know, I'd say I could keep going. I could turn it around and go do the Appalachian Trail southbound. Let's keep going. But on this one, I was pretty ready to be done. Uh, okay. I was going to a wedding with my family. I it was still I had more adventure left. I was gonna you know bus hitchhike down to Northern California again from Northern Washington, um, meet up with my family, go to a thrift store to buy a wedding for uh, an outfit for a wedding, which was really fun. Um, and then the outfit I did buy for that wedding had holes in like the pants but i got to my aunt's house i was like do you have a sewing machine and she did and i sewed them right up um because one thing i haven't mentioned yet is uh part of the impetus for starting the company that we keep teasing is i made my own backpack for the journey oh you did taught myself how to sew um in the months you know prior to starting the trail uh the the only backpack i had was this four pound 70 liter osprey and i was a broke graduating college student couldn't you know afford a three hundred dollar backpack so i decided to teach myself how to sew spend about a hundred dollars in materials designed a backpack and made a backpack um using youtube videos reddit posts um make your own gear forums and uh, the backpack held up pretty well throughout i got a lot of you know compliments comments on it that was fun um i also had to do a lot of on-trail gear repairs but the long and short of it is i learned how to sew and how to make gear and had this thought in my head of man that was pretty cool to make that all these other people are talking about their backpacks and how they wish it had this or if only that or what if someone made this and me and my buddy nathan were like man we could do that and that's sort of what we started chasing when we were done so another reason why when I got off trail, I was kind of ready to start the next chapter is because I knew what the next chapter was. I was going to move to Milwaukee where my friend Nathan, who did a month with me, um, 
he was living there working for Milwaukee Tool, and he had also made his own backpack. After I made mine, he made version two. I hmm. uh, made some improvements on my design, and then we uh, sat down and decided to start a business together where we make backpacks and backpacking accessories with a focus on durability and lightweight. A lot of the companies these days are focused so much on lightweight that their gear isn't lasting more than a thousand miles. Yeah. And we found that to be not great thinking. Like people are doing 2,000, 3,000 mile long hikes and they don't want a gear to only last half a hike or one hike. So our goal was to make gear that would last two hikes. Um, and, and that's what we're doing now. Huh, okay. Um, so wait, you said you, when you finished the trail, you knew that's what you were going to go do is start that company. Yeah. Uh, when he was with me in California, we had the idea and started talking about it and he went to do his job at Milwaukee tool as an engineer and started doing feasibility, you know, looking at competitors, where were their holes in the market? How many of this would we have to sell in order to, you know, make enough money, him and I to survive on, um, and I had some savings as well. Uh, so I was like, all right, yeah, I think I could just, you know, if you don't charge me rent, I could come live with you for a little while and we can make this happen. Um, but then I was still on trail. I was still hiking. So one of the things I was doing on trail was I bought a notebook and a pen and carried that with me. And I would ask anybody that would stop and talk to me about their backpack. And I called them my backpack surveys. Okay. So I was basically doing on trail market research about their packs. What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? What would you change? What's your dream pack? You know, frame or frameless? Um, what's ultralight under two pounds. All right, cool. So we got all this data. Um, Nathan had thoughts of like, okay, yeah, I, I think this is feasible. If we sell this much, yeah, we, we could make a living off this. So we started in, I don't know, I want to say November, December, uh, 2018. And then the company officially starts, uh, shortly after that. So we're, uh, about three years old, um, about a year in Milwaukee. And then we decide to, uh, we each have some savings. We moved up to Houghton Hancock cause we went to school up here. We love it up here. Mm -hmm. Worked out of our apartment here for about a year. Uh, we started hiring on employees to, to sew for us and everything's made in house. We don't, you know, export any of our manufacturing. It's all sewn in the UP uh, by people that we trained or knew a little bit about sewing beforehand. So we've got some employees in, in the dining room of our apartment starting to expand to the living room. And we're like, all right, we need a new spot. So we talked to Deb Mann. Deb Mann puts us in touch with Mike Lottie. Mike Lottie puts us in touch with his son, Andy. And Andy shows us the old book concern building in downtown Hancock. Mm -hmm. So we now operate out of what used to be a book printing shop. Hmm. And it is just the perfect workshop. Um, hardwood floors, but a little beat up. Like, you know, any improvements we make, you know, are, are going to be good. Like, it was a little bit run down. So I think Andy was cool with us scuffing floors, you know, like moving around our industrial sewing machines. But just the perfect space for us. Uh, so, and we're, we're going strong now with five employees and we sell backpacks, um, water bottle sleeves, which is a way to keep a water bottle on your shoulder strap instead of in your backside pocket where it's hard to reach mm -hmm. and a little fit on our backpacks or really any backpack, including Ospreys and such and uh, a wide variety of other accessories and different size backpacks and things. Yeah. And the company Chicken Tramper Ultralight Gear, right? That's the one. Chicken Where, Tramper Ultralight Gear. Okay. Where did that name come from? Uh, the name came from Nathan and I being engineers and not creatives. We had designs ready. We just needed to fill out LLC paperwork and get a website rolling and we couldn't come up with a name. So 
we sat around drinking beer and throwing names at the wall. Um, Tramper is a hiking term in New Zealand. Uh, someone from my trail family sent that out to our group chat and was like, what a fun term. And I was hmm. like, yeah, put that on the wall. <laughs> right. Tramper means uh, literally to, uh, to hike long distances over rough terrain for recreation. We're like, yeah, that's what hikers do. Mm-hmm. Chicken uh, is from the fraternity Nathan and I are both a part of at Michigan Tech. Okay. So back in the 80s, one of, the, one of our brothers would draw these stick figure animal representations so our logo is basically um, a hieroglyph, uh, a stick figure chicken head. You know, hmm. it's got the beak, the feathers. And so we called Dan Lorenz and we're like, hey, Dan, um, do you think we could use that international sign of the chicken thing you're always talking about? It's drawn uh, on the wall of a house, you know, behind paintings and stuff just all over the place. Sure. And he was super excited about it. He was like, you mean everyone's going to be wearing the chicken? Yeah. Yeah, Dan, everyone's going <laughs> to be wearing it. He's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, you can do that. So we trademarked it and we stuck it all together. Chicken Tramper Ultralight Gear. So huh. it's a goofy name. Um, we get questions about it a lot. We like to think it sticks in the heads of people that hear it. Um, we don't take ourselves too seriously. So we were just happy to have a name and start selling gear, you know, start putting our designs out there and seeing what people think. Uh, we're very iterative. So we ask our customers what they think of the gear. Once they have it, we make changes from there. We'll offer discounts if people promise that they'll do surveys over the next three months they'll do the surveys we'll make some changes we'll put out the next uh revision of the product yeah for sure and you guys have gained somewhat of a, a following right i mean you're you're staying pretty busy you've got people in some uh larger i'm just thinking like a wide net of people that are using your gear right for sure yeah three years uh word of mouth has done a lot for us i'm pretty excited for the summer more people are going to be out on the trails um and, you know, we've been growing this company through COVID. So it's really hard to understand like, okay, so COVID has its own set of struggles. It's hard to find labor. Uh, it can be hard to source things and people aren't buying as much, but also it's driving a lot of people outside. So we've been slowly growing over these years. I don't know if, um, you know, we, we got hurt by COVID or helped by COVID or, or what it is, but it, it hasn't been the easiest time to start a company. And yeah, we have a pretty big following. Uh, a lot of people that find us end up, you know, saying chicken tramper for life. Like they, they sure. really seem to identify with our products and, and our vision of what gear should be. Um, we're very colorful, customizable. We want it to fit their personality and their body. Um, and, and to work for them for a long time. We don't want people to buy two backpacks from us. We want them to buy one and have that one last. Okay. I relate a lot of what you're doing to a company that I follow in the hunting world called Kafaru. Okay. Hunting backpacks. Again, it's a different world. They're seven pound backpacks and, and frames and whatever else, but they're started by people that are like you started by a guy that was like you, I'm saying from a very experience intensive place uh, and really wanted to make the best possible product from made here in the USA, stuff like that. And they want people that once you use it, you're like, this is it for life and slow and steady, small growth. And now they're just a huge, huge company have a cult following people that are they're They're all in on it. So I feel like I could see that same, like, I'd be curious to see if you could follow their trajectory or see what they've done to be successful and have that same thing applied to what your business is. It hey, feels like you could. I love it. Yeah. Let's put it out there. You know, like, uh, the, the secret, you know, let's manifest that. Let's follow that same trajectory. <laughs> right. Right. And now they're again, uh, I mean, anybody in the hunting world that gets into it knows of them. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, probably the one of, if not the top end pack out there and they charge accordingly. 
like they are the most expensive. Maybe you're not, but if you got to the point where you establish your brand to that extent, I think you could be the most expensive pack on the market, right? Man, I appreciate that. Uh, I'd love to look into them actually. Kafari, right? Kafaru, yeah. I'll Kafari. show you later. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. We'll, we'll get into it. Um, there's something about it. Uh, Nathan and I are engineers. We're not business majors. You know, we're really good at designing. Uh, we're really good at you know, trying to make things more efficient, figuring out what the process flow should be, but we're not great at the business decisions, what to charge, when to raise the prices, um, and the strategies behind all that. I think we've done a pretty good job stumbling along thinking, um, you know, just instinctively about these things, but, uh, it, those are all pretty, pretty hard decisions to make and, and strategies, uh, I don't know. Yeah, we're, we're engineers, not businessmen. So we're doing a lot of figuring it out as we go, especially now with employees. Uh, we have some really fantastic employees that make it easier for us. Um, but, you know, one day we're going to have to actually figure out how to be managers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's going to be a going to be a big challenge for sure. But even hearing that to me, it, it's, it is them to a T. The owner, Patrick Smith, was a, a mountaineering man at first, right? Or a hunting, mountaineering, adventure or whatever else marketing, they're probably the worst marketing marketed backpack company out there. But again, just through word of mouth and whatever else they've really, really grown. But I, again, I'm excited to show you them and see if you can implement what they've implemented and, and get to this same level. Do you have big grand visions of, I mean, wh where's your end goal with this? Me and Nathan always talk, uh, obviously it'll be great when we're millionaires. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the, the real goal is that we want to Give people in Hancock a good, well-paying job that mm -hmm. they like to do. Uh, that's a big goal. And then we also ourselves want to be able to take off a summer and go through hike or take off a winter and go down to Patagonia. Um, the dream is just to create this self-sustaining business that will run itself and we can go and do the adventures that we want to do and afford that possibility to our employees as well. Let them take long periods of time off when we're both at the shop so they can go and do some sort of adventure, take a, you know, take, take a few months to do a through hike. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you mind if we get a little bit technical about your packs? What separates you? Is it the, the arrow frame that you use or what is it that makes you, uh, again, the durability, whatever else, what, what separates you? Yeah, there's a few things. Um, everyone sets up their frames differently. Uh, we use carbon fiber arrow shafts, like you said. Uh, the big thing about that is they're easily replaceable. So it isn't common that a frame is going to break on trail, but it does happen, especially with some of the other packs with thinner carbon fiber uh, stays. And when I saw somebody uh, modifying a hacksaw blade to be a horizontal stay in a backpack, I realized that we need this to be modular and easily accessible. So if you break one of our frames on trail, you're going to have no problem finding an arrow in one of these offshoot towns to cut down to size to replace your broken frame stay. Hmm. Um, so that's you know one of the features of the, the carbon fiber arrow shaft. We use 3D printed brackets to hold it in place and have a system that ties in the load lifters of your shoulder straps to the upper frame attachment mm -hmm. and the lower frame attachment is tied directly to the hip belt. What this means is that the transfer of load from pack to your hips is nearly 100%. You can set up the pack and tighten the strap such that you could fit three fingers on top of your shoulders underneath the shoulder strap. There's an actual gap. So what the shoulder strap is doing is hugging your chest and keeping the pack tight to you, but not weighing your shoulders down and everything is just completely on your hips. And that's a pretty, I don't know, that, that's what you're going for. 
For um, sure. Other things are just the modularity um, of our accessory items. You can clip your fanny pack directly into your hip belt. And then when you go to town, you can let out those straps and wear it as a fanny pack. Okay. A lot of people are going with a fanny pack route these days instead of hip belt pockets. You can do both on our packs. We suggest the fanny pack. Okay. It's just a little bit bigger, way more accessible, um, and and they're really great. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, different accessories to throw on your shoulder straps as well. Uh, some of the other things that sets our packs apart is the material that we use. A lot of people are getting into this thing called Cuban fiber, uh, Dyneema composite fiber. It's very lightweight, uh, but some people joke that it's like butterfly wings. Uh, th- these are the packs that are breaking at 600 miles sometimes. Right. So we're willing to have a pack that weighs you know, eight ounces more, but uses X-Pack VX21, hmm. which is modified sail cloth, basically. Mm-hmm. So this stuff is very strong and really doesn't, um, doesn't rip very easily. Yeah. And Kafaro, I've seen a lot of their stuff uses X-Pack as well. Yeah. Um, fairly waterproof or is it waterproof? X-Pack is waterproof, um, but we don't seal our seams. Uh, there are a few different ways of sealing seams. We seal seams on some of our very small products in a pretty proprietary way. Okay. The ways other people will seal seams is with tape or glue. Tape and glue both will eventually fade. Okay. So after you know, a thousand, 2000 miles, your waterproof pack is water resistant. Now our backpacks, um, the material, the panels, it's all X pack. It's all waterproof, but the seams where the stitching is water can seep into there and like leach into the bag. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you use an internal liner. So you basically just put a trash bag or a compactor bag into your backpack put all your gear into that bag, roll that down, and then roll your backpack down. Sure. So if it's raining really heavy, some water might get into your backpack, but not into that garbage bag. Um, and so instead of having to retape or re-glue your seams after thousands of miles, you just get a new garbage bag every you know thousand miles or so. Okay, that makes sense. Instead of having the false, not false, but like the, the confidence of the seal seam bag that you know is gonna fail, have the system be where without having it be completely waterproof, you're protected from the start. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what about the durability? You said you wanted to last two years or two long trips versus a half of a trip. How do you guys accomplish that? Um, just by iterating. Um, we have some friends who hike for a living. It seems Mm -hmm. Uh, they're really great. One of them is driver is his trail name. Chris Budin is his real name. Uh, good buddy from the trail. And he, it just always seems to be hiking. It's awesome. And so hmm. we gave him a pack early on and he hiked it, I don't know, like 4,500 miles. Um, and we took it back, looked at it. Okay, we got wear here. We got wear here. What's going on here? What's that? We made all those changes, gave him another pack. Uh, we just checked it out. I think it has like 3,000 miles on it. And there were a couple of weird things um, going on with it, a couple of holes. And we're like, all right, yeah, we, we can change this, change that. But most of our packs are lasting well well beyond 3,000 miles. Um, and then he just keeps putting on crazy miles on it so we can see what does wear out uh, with time. What can we fix? Uh, so we always fix his packs for him and then ship him a new one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. I Again, not a world that from just from being a bystander, some of that world I'm a little bit into. But as far as the gear intensive from the lightweight pack side, I think not something, not something I'm super interested or not 
super knowledgeable about but interested I'm, I'm excited to come check out your shop if you would let me do that yeah absolutely um you know you can find us on google come by anytime we're there nine to six weekdays um we've got like i said five employees about six industrial machines we just got an automated cutting table which is really exciting it's basically a cnc machine with a rotary blade and drag knife cutter and it'll go around and um cut out all of our patterns for us okay yeah. Well, it's awesome. I'll be excited to see how you guys grow and continue. I, my brother-in-law told me about you guys the other day and I just told, and I met you the other day and I said, how haven't I heard of you guys? But it feels like you're to that point, right? I mean, you could be in a pretty big growth moment. We feel that way ourselves. Um, I think we're at a bit of a tipping point. Um, we've really put the work in, we've grown very organically and we have, um, some, some things in the near future that we're planning on doing that we think are going to kind of catapult us upwards. It's just so much prepping, you know, uh, we could start advertising like crazy right now, but we only have so much inventory. So we got to figure out how we get more inventory. Oh, but we've got all these wholesale orders we need to do. So it's a constant juggling act, but I think that we're getting very good at juggling. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no, it's good to hear. Um, you had alluded or talked a little bit about some of the ultra running side of things. Where does that come from? Is that just another push, another challenge or what, what's that about? Yeah, that started, um, uh, let's see about a year before, uh, the trail maybe, you know, a little bit before I knew I was doing the trail. Um, I wasn't having the best summer. I was up here, uh, in the upper peninsula for a summer and all of my climbing buddies moved, uh, way for the summer. So I didn't have anyone to like blame me up a rock wall. Okay. So I just went out for a trail run and I had run previously, but I never really ran more than five miles. Cause who does that? Mm-hmm. But I went out for like a six, 10 mile run or, okay. I had run more than 10 miles, but anyway, <laughs> sure. I had done an accidental half marathon one time, but yeah, I, I just went out in the summertime on the trails running through the woods and I sort of fell in love with it and used it as a way to just kind of, um, I don't know, meditate, cope, a little bit of therapy. Like uh, I, I was a little bit down and every time I went for a run, I felt better. Mm-hmm. And so throughout that summer, I just found that to be a great outlet. And I would drive to the Mastohito trailhead and just go out there for hours, um, just running through the woods as slow as I needed to and started running a little bit faster and wanted to kind of push myself and started looking at marathons and, and ultra marathons and found that you know, they're kind of expensive, which I found weird, but I mm-hmm. guess they're giving you food and setting up the race infrastructure. So instead I put a couple of drops along my trail of food and water and went out and ran my first marathon and just kind of, it was the self-supported. I ran 26.2 miles. I was like, okay, cool. I did that. Hmm. I should do the next thing, which apparently was a uh, 50 K 50 kilometers. That's 31 miles. So I went out and I did that. And I remember seeing three turtles on that run and I love turtles. So (laughs) it was one of those things that's like, oh yeah. Okay. Turtles. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing this whole running thing. These guys showing up, like, I don't know. It was like one of those sign things that you, uh, give meaning to in your own mind, even though we live in a really random world. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so I just kept on progressing. So I had done a couple of ultras, I guess, before I hiked the PCT. And when I got back, I saw running as a way to, still move my feet and run through the woods, uh, without taking months off at a time to go through hike. Sure. Um, and, and also to push myself. And so when we were in Milwaukee, there was a running community community down there. I did a couple of runs with them. One of them was like a February eight inches of snow, 50 K that was just nuts. Took me forever. 
um, one of them, these Wisconsin runners are pretty crazy. I'm realizing, um, the other one was a 50 miler that started at 6 PM. And so I got a new headlamp, had to do some training night runs to figure out what that was going to be like. And 50 was longer than I'd ever done before. So that one was a challenge. Um, I had a couple of mantras to keep me going on that one, uh, towards the end. But yeah, I don't know. Something about just pushing yourself. It, it's just really attractive to me. Yeah. What's next on that world or in that world? Next in that world, uh, I had some goals I wanted to do. I wanted to run to Copper Harbor from Houghton. So either like a 60 or 100 mile run and then have some friends meet me up there um, and then go camping. Uh, I kind of put that on hold because I just, it takes a lot of time to train for these. So the goal is to just keep doing a 50K every summer on Grand Island. That's like my minimum. Okay. Um, and then eventually, I'm really, when I have time, want to work up to like 100K, a 62 miler, and a uh, 100 miler. I'd love to do a 100 mile run locally to prove I could do it. And then, you know, another year, train pretty hard, go to the mountains and do like the Western states or one of the, the big circuit 100 miler runs out there just to just to finish it. I'm not winning any of these, you know, sure. uh, up in the UP, I can kind of place in my age group just cause I'm a little fit and there's less people up here, but, uh, out there, I'm not gonna place or anything. I'm just trying to trying to do it and join this community, be part of it. Ultra runners are like through hikers. Uh, you have a lot in common already. We all spent hours and hours in the woods running. Like the barriers are down. There's no walls between us because of that. The, the same idea when you're through hiking, you know, you have that kind of immediate connection with people. Mm -hmm. Right now, and of course, life ebbs and flows, whatever else, are you more excited about the ultra running or the through hiking? Or is it both uh, a love for both? Ah, I don't know. It's tough. Um, I mean, backpacking in general, I'm excited this summer. I think I'm going to go to Isle Royal with some buddies. So I'm very stoked about that. Um, but I'm probably more into the running at this point. Uh, it's what I let myself be excited about, I guess, because I don't think I'm going to be able to do a through hike for at least another two or three years. Mm -hmm. So you got to kind of temper the expectations there and just think about, you know, a week long backpacking trip uh, is super exciting and it's great. Um, and we're going to go to Isle Royal. Uh, but really what I can be in love with is going out and enjoying being in the woods every day, uh, running, running the local trails. Okay. And part of that, like you said, is just utility, right? That's what you're able to do. That's so what I'm able to do right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, works really busy, you know, like <laughs> starting out, I thought that we might be able to build up the business to be self-sufficient a little sooner. And now I'm realizing, okay, this is a big endeavor. Like employees are a big deal. We, we recently took a week off and it actually went very smoothly. Um, our employees did a great job, uh, but there's a lot of prep for them and a lot to do when we got back. So I can't imagine what longer than a week and a half would be. Hmm. Um, it'd be a lot. So there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to go into place before that, but you know, baby steps, we're on our way. Uh, we're taking strides and, and it's pretty exciting to be in like, I don't know. I do kind of think we're in like this new phase of, uh, of development as a company. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I want to close this out with thinking back about on the trail, any favorite memories, favorite moments, maybe you can even tie that into another very low moment. Uh, a couple of stories, I guess I'm trying to think of some memorable times for you on the trail. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of them, uh, you know, I had friends come out and visit me. That was great. So in, in that really low moment, when I opened that card and the mosquitoes were attacking my tent, I knew that I think it was in a day or two, a buddy of mine was going to come out and visit me. He was 
on a business trip out in California. Uh, he lives in this area in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, he was on a business trip and he was going to meet me in Tuolumne campsite near Yosemite. And, um, and, and, and we planned to meet at the entrance of the campsite. And so I kind of uh, hung out on a rock at the entrance with a couple of beers and was just waiting for him. And then it started to get dark. And I'm like, okay, I haven't seen him. So I kind of walked around a bit. He didn't show up. And then I'm like, okay, man, I really need to find him. Like, it's getting dark. We have no service. And he needs to sleep in my tent. He could have slept in, like, his rental car. But uh, we end up uh, just randomly bumping into each other. It's dark. We're both wearing our headlamps, walking around the campsites in the dark. And we just, like, see a light coming at each other. And, like, I kind of flash my light at him. And he flashes his. And I'm like, hmm. Evan? He's like, Austin? Yeah. And we just saw each other. <laughs> and it was great. We went to his car. He brought me in and out burgers. Uh, I slammed those. Uh, we slept in the tent. And then we spent the next day walking around or driving around Yosemite, uh, which was just breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was a really cool moment, just like having a friend uh, come in right after a low moment, get lifted up a little bit. Uh, some super high moments. Uh, my trail family was incredible. Uh, we called ourselves the Fox family. Okay. It was this very big, sprawling group of people. Um, I don't know, maybe like 15, 20. And we'd spread out on trail and then kind of condense like an accordion in towns. And you could kind of hike out with whoever you wanted to hike out with. There were a couple of couples, a couple of buddies. Um, and you would just kind of like find your place in these crowds. Um, they're all just so kind. And I remember my birthday, September 1st, and that happened on trail. And one of my trail family's family was visiting and they ended up baking us cakes. There was another girl, Jelly Bones. Uh, it was her birthday, same day. So they gave us both a cake with, you know, a little pictogram of frosting of a bottle of ketchup running or something you know, sure like uh, me catching up yeah um, and jelly bones a little jar of jelly with bones on it and uh yeah that was just a really cool moment just the support you'd get from the trail family and uh you know i probably mentioned my birthday once or twice and they remembered and were like hey let's do something for that so i remember being in a parking lot in washington drinking beer eating cake with just a bunch of people i loved all around me yeah right the who knows this might spawn four more questions but the trail pace is maybe you're walking fast but it's slower than normal life life right or, or i'm just thinking the pace of life uh, on the trail the pace versus of life right. yeah yeah i'd say it's a little bit slower um you're not really in a rush to finish the conversation or get anywhere yeah i'd, I'd say the pace of life could be a little bit slower um okay know, nothing's pressing you know it's not like the humdrum constant moving of of everyday life yeah normally. i guess what i'm curious about if that, was that true and it sounds like it was and then how was that getting back when you're done with the trail was it i mean you're right back into the busyness or was it hard to transition back or what was that like it's a tough transition uh people talk about post-trail depression post-trail blues uh getting off trail and realizing that you have to assimilate back into normal life culture and pace yeah it, it can be weird for sure um i had a lot of friends to talk about it with and I also structured my coming back such that I had time to drive around, move around, do some stuff before I actually went to Wisconsin to start working on the company with Nathan. Okay. So when I got back, I ended up doing a, a solo road trip around Michigan. I like drove up to the UP, slowly made my way back down, staying different places along the way, meeting with friends, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so 
I was able to, you know, slowly assimilate a little bit more. And then, you know, we started the company together and I was sort of making my own hours at that point. And so it was pretty tricky at first trying to like get myself into a full working mode when I don't have any coworkers. Like Nathan's waking up in the morning and going to Milwaukee Tool and I'm in this two bedroom apartment just kind of starting a company. Like I would talk with Nathan like, all right, what should I do next? Like what's the next steps? And I don't know. It was... It was tough at first. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Do you crave that now? Like, do you crave getting back out there? I know you said right now you're focusing on the running side of things, but do you, is there a big party that wishes or, or, or longs to be back out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as soon as I can, I'll go through hike again and hopefully Nathan will be there with me and whoever else wants to come, uh, probably go hit the PCT, uh, and then eventually we'll hit the Appalachian trail and the continental divide trail the year after that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something about dedicating a large portion of your life to go live in this way and accomplish this task and, and do this thing and slow down the pace of your life and, and use your body, uh, in this way every day. Yeah. I definitely crave it. Um, I'm definitely going to hike a lot more in my life and that's, you know, in a way what I'm working towards these days is, uh, a way to get to that point. But, uh, I've also recently been trying to make sure that I don't lose sight of like, you know, yeah, I'm working towards that, but I've also got to make a life here make some friends here and, mm-hmm. and be social here, you know? there's beautiful things on trail like chance meetings and using your body but i I got i can find that here too um in different ways and smaller extents but you know it's important to not forget i'm here now you know yeah for sure that's a lesson i've been learning myself again i talk about hunting out west and i think about it i'm engaged in it year round but i'm only out there for a week or two a year like so i've i've had and successfully enjoyed you know, locally deer hunting, turkey hunting, hiking, camping, stuff like that. So, but it's a little bit, I've had to learn it. Even though I grew up here and I love it here, I was so enamored and I'm still so enamored with the West that it's like almost a, yeah, I've had to just learn to appreciate where you're at and live in the moment. I went on less backpacking trips after I threw hiked and that was interesting to me. So maybe it's a similar thought that you're having where like you do these grand trips, hiking and hunting out West and backpacking. And then it's almost hard for you to hunt here and realize like, yeah, you can do that on a smaller scale here. Mm -hmm. You just got to go do it. But it's a little bit harder when like you've done something so grand maybe. Right. Yeah. No, it's awesome. I've, uh, for the last year and a half or two years, this whole world is something I've just been fired up on. Uh, so to be able to sit down and talk to you and hear about the experience is just so cool. Yeah. I I appreciate it. Um, anytime someone gives me a chance to talk their ear off about that really cool time in my life, I got to go walking every day. Yeah. Really happy to come here and talk. Yeah. And then on the other side of things, again, the, I feel like sometimes I live a double life, but I'm really interested in the business and the sales side of things. So hearing about your company and hopefully watching that grow is, is pretty cool as well. Yeah, for sure. Stop by. And when we need to, you know, buy a building, we'll call you. Sure. Right. <laughs> awesome. Anything else you want to cover? Otherwise really appreciate you hopping on. Uh, I think I'm satisfied. Yeah. Really. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. Hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, and you feel so inclined Share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.